You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. How is everyone this wonderful Tuesday? Usually it is Twitter Tuesday when we chat this time of, this time of the week, but we're going to probably bump that to Friday this week because I have Peter Bukowski on, host of Locked On Packers, and I've been really anxious to talk to you, Peter. How are you today? I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. Just trying to sift through yet another uh, article about the quarterback of the Packers and his relationship to his head coach. This time, a little less bombshelly than the last one. <laughs> yeah, and to me, that's the biggest news around the team, obviously. But I'm more concentrating mm-hmm. on the X's and O's of it and the relationship sure. between Lafleur and Rodgers, and kind of the way I think this went down. At least my view on it is. Rodgers looks around the league, sees Goff, sees Garoppolo, a lot of these guys with highly schemed up offenses, and is looking at the route combinations and things that they did and thought, man, what if I had that? Let's, you know, and now he's going to get it. Well, and and look, Rodgers wasn't the only one who was thinking that if he was thinking that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people around the league were thinking that. The Packers, I think, Pretty obviously, we're thinking that, and and there's the famous Tom Brady quote that, you know, if Rodgers got to play in the in the Patriots offense, he'd throw for seven thousand yards. Uh, you know, this is this is a different look from what he's used to, and what's going to be interesting is how much, you know, he really embraces the ease of it all. You know, this this is a guy who, in Mike McCarthy's offense, he was asked to do everything. He was asked to change plays at the line of scrimmage. He had the freedom to, to literally change plays in the huddle if he wanted to. And, you know, this is one of the central tensions of, you know, the, the early – uh, start here with Matt Lafleur is what's going to happen with the audibles at the line of scrimmage. I'm sure you know we can get into that, but just from a, a schematic standpoint, one of the reasons Matt Lafleur is in Green Bay is to make life for Aaron Rodgers easier. Make sure he doesn't have to do all of the virtuoso things he's good at all the time. That the whole offense isn't based on you know him putting on the Superman cape and having to make every check and every call and every throw and have everything be perfect. Your point about these schemed up offenses is really well taken because you know Jared Goff so much of what he has to do is just push the buttons. And I don't want to undersell Jared Goff because I think he's very talented. I think he you know he's going to have a long career in the NFL. He's a very good quarterback. But Sean McVay's offense does a lot of the work for him. Absolutely. And the same is true for for Patrick Mahomes and what Andy Reid does. I mean, how many times you go back to just that week one game? We, we there was that one throw where he made that incredible play Patrick Mahomes did across his body, and everyone, you know, they they gravitated to that, and then they forgot that there were two other where he had just wide open guys for touchdowns. When was the last time you saw Aaron Rodgers throw to a guy wide open for a touchdown? Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> right. it was not it was not something that was happening on a consistent basis for for myriad reasons. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't have to get bogged down. And if you if you want to know the reasons, listen to Lockdown Packers. We, we talk about it all the time. Oh, I'm sure it comes up from time to time. Yeah. But, you know, what what this offense does is relies so much on movement pre snap. It relies on what Matt LaFleur calls the illusion of complexity. So. A lot of times they're going to run the same. I mean, it's going to be fewer plays than Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy had that big old Wendy's 
menu, right? That was that he had just dozens upon dozens of plays and looks and formations. And, you know, it was, it was mostly 11 personnel and it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of pre-snap motion, not a lot of scheme. It was all about guys winning individually. When you have supreme talent, when they had Greg Jennings, James Jones, Donald Driver, Jermichael Finley, Ryan Grant, all these incredible guys, you can run an offense like that. And it looks really good when you suddenly have injuries and you have rookies and you, and you have an offensive line that's struggling or you have a quarterback who's playing on a literal broken leg last year with the tibial plateau fracture. You know, it, suddenly you need to you need to be able to adapt. And Mike McCarthy was never able to do that. What Matt LaFleur is is going to try and do is give you looks that look the same but are different or and he's going to give you looks that are that are uh, different in terms of how they appear to a defense. But it's going to be the same concept. So it, the, to execute it, the offense needs to do basically all of the same things. It's just going to be slightly different in terms of personnel or in pre-snap motion. It really stresses the defense's eyes to make sure that they have good eye discipline. Where are they looking? Oh, we've got this jet motion, and actually it's going to, we're going to come back this way. Or you know, they're going to send three guys across the field in one direction. They're going to leak the tight end out the back, and they're going to have a screen. And it's going to, it's going to really stress defenses on where they're looking. Uh, and what's, what I think is really interesting is, you know, this, this offense goes back to Mike Shanahan, but then Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and now Matt LaFleur. They, none of those guys have had a quarterback who can do what Aaron Rodgers can do. Absolutely. And when you look at what L.A. can do with Jared Goff, what Kyle Shanahan was able to do with Nick Mullins, with Brian Hoyer, with, with even Matt Ryan, none of those guys are as good as Aaron Rodgers. So what can this offense look like with a guy that good? I mean, it, it, it is, it's not 7,000 yards in a season, but I think the ceiling of what this can be with the talent that they have, the offensive line talent, the running back talent, the receiver talent, this offense can be the best offense in football. I mean, it's funny. If if we were picking quarterbacks all time and I had first pick, I'd probably take Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I really am that high on him. And like the yeah. Brady versus Rodgers things that have come up in the past. One thing I'll say is close your eyes and picture a world where Belichick had Rodgers. I mean, I, <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, it makes you shudder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you put those two together with all respect to Brady, he's a goat. I get it. But what if Belichick had Rodgers? I mean, just think about that for a minute. It would be unbelievable. Um, the only one thing I think the biggest hurdle that this team will have to overcome, the LaFleur Rodgers thing is, and I've heard mm -hmm. you say this, is everybody has to buy in and they probably have to buy in early and have some early success with it. Yeah, and, and I wrote about that for SB Nation uh, today about, you know, the best way to avoid problems. And again, we don't know that there are problems that the Mike Silver piece on NFL.com I thought was really illuminating about their relationship, that it's a work in progress. And Rodgers called it a process. And Matt LaFleur was open. No. Right. And, and this offense, as I said, has never had a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. So you talk about the line of scrimmage stuff. Rodgers is used to being in an offense where, as I said, he could he could legitimately change plays in the huddle before they even get to the line of scrimmage. He can just go, nope, we're not running that play. <laughs> I don't like it, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think there are there are legitimate criticisms to have of a system like that. I think it's really hard to call plays 
and get into a flow with your offense when that's happening. And, and you know, we, we saw a couple big pieces last year written about how there were times when Mike McCarthy didn't know why Aaron Rodgers was doing some of the things that he was doing. And they, there was a lack of communication there. And sometimes Tim Boyle and Deshaun Kaiser had to be go-betweens and all of this stuff. I think right now it seems like Aaron Rodgers has bought into what Matt LaFleur is doing, knows that the offense at its core can work. What they have to figure out now, and Matt LaFleur has said, look, if he can get us into the right play, the perfect play, I want him to do that. What they have to figure out is what that's going to look like. It can't just be, well, he's going to have the the carte blanche to do whatever he wants. I, I just don't think this offense is set up for that. When you think of all the pre-snap motion and the way that this offense really builds on itself, they're going to show you a concept in the first quarter, see how you defend it. And in the third quarter, they're going to give you that what you think is that same concept. They're going to turn it into a double move or they're going to leak a tight end out the backside and you're going to have a big play. Well, if your quarterback changes that play, then that changes your setup to that play and it changes how you can hit shot plays off that. And, and, you know, I think Rodgers is going to have to buy in a little bit to the idea that, look, this is what it is. And sometimes just taking the better of two plays is a, is the best option versus trying to get into the perfect play well because of what it means game flow wise, what it means play calling wise, all of those things. And the easiest way to do that, as you said have early success. If this offense can get hot a little bit early, Rodgers is going to go to the line of scrimmage confident in the play call. He's going to believe in it. He's going to know it works, and he's not going to feel like he has to be Superman and do everything for this offense to run because he doesn't. He doesn't have to be in this offense. The theory being for the Packers that that could prolong his career as well. Yeah, folks, we'll be back in a minute to talk around about the supporting cast around Rodgers. Very interesting stuff there, but first... Guys, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys that can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. So, Blue Chew is prescribed online, shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visit, no waiting in the pharmacy. Best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And we've got a special deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Locked On, all you pay is the five bucks shipping. It's worth it. Trust me. It's b l u e chew.com promo code Locked On to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them a great deal for sponsoring the podcast. So the supporting cast around Rogers is impressive. Um, some of my favorites are in there. Aaron Jones. I'm going to get to another one here in a moment. But I think there's a lot to be said about the receiving core. That At this point, I feel like we know who Devontae Adams is. He's going to get a gazillion targets. You want him on your fantasy team. But this group of other, other receivers, you know, Valdez Scantling, of course, Allison, St. Brown, Moore, Davis, Kumaro is a guy that I think is very intriguing that my fans need to know about. 
the fact that they didn't do much there, I think, is very telling. They had two first-round picks. They had money to spend, and they didn't. I think they're happy with this young group. Yeah, the the criticism. I was shocked at the amount of and and the pervasive nature of the criticism that they didn't add at receiver. I, I guess there was a lot of you know uh, consternation over what happened last year. When you look individually at at what the Packers did with these receivers, Marquez Valdez Scantling as a fifth round pick was one of the most productive rookie receivers in football last year, was a big play waiting to happen and continues to to build on that this year. Right now, in two receiver sets, he is the starting outside receiver opposite Devontae Adams. Geronimo Allison is going to play that big slot role. I don't think and, everybody realizes uh, that. You know, I mean, No, and, yeah. and I didn't realize it either re- until recently. I mean, we just didn't know what was real and what isn't. And we, we don't know for sure yet, but we've seen it in OTAs and then it was in minicamp. So if we open training camp now and when the Packers go to two receiver sets, which I think is going to be a lot, I think we're looking at 60 plus percent two receiver sets because they want to play with two tight ends. It's going to be a lot of Jimmy Graham, a lot of Mercedes Lewis. Valdez Scantling is going to be the other outside receiver because of that big play potential, because of that ability to get down the field. I mean, he killed teams last year on go routes, on post routes, on deep over routes. If you give him space in the middle of the field or on the edges, his speed at 6'3", 210, and and 4'3", stuff is game-changing. And you have Allison in the slot. Think Mohamed Sanu with those Falcons teams. Think a little bit of Cooper Cup. I know that because of of – the the, uh, the melanin levels in Cooper Cup, people think he's a gritty short slot receiver, but right. you know he's he's six two two ten. He's built actually very similarly to Allison in terms of their body type. So they, they have different athletic profiles, but body type wise, they're not that similar. Uh, that is that's going to be their their top three, and then you're going to see Jimmy Graham. You're going to see a lot of Jimmy Graham and a lot of Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tanyan. And Michael Roberts, who they just got from the Lions, and then someone who I know you're high on, Jay Sternberger, who, you know, year one tight ends, that's a struggle. But you look at year two, year three, I mean, this guy, he has a chance to be really, really good. And and that's one of the reasons why I think you didn't see them go out and get a receiver, because they want to throw the ball more to the running backs. They mm-hmm. want to throw the ball more to the, more to the tight ends. They have Devontae, who is a bona fide number one receiver. They feel like Valdez Scantling is their deep threat. And then they've got your possession, reliable receiver, Geronimo Allison, with a couple guys behind them. Names you mentioned, Jake Kumaro, Trevor Davis, who's trying to make the team as more than just a returner. Can fourth-round pick Jamon Moore be, you know, something? There's This is the most exciting position group on the Packers in terms of intrigue when you look at training camp and preseason, to be sure. No doubt. And you touched on it. My favorite pick, I think, of the entire draft, any team, didn't matter, I think was Sternberger to the Packers. I think he's that good. Um, I don't know that he's going to make a huge impact this year, but I bet he has an amazing career. I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl type guy. They can ease him into it, playing with Rodgers. I was shocked he lasted that long. I think he's going to be a star. Yeah, and I, you know, I was higher on him until the the measurables came out, and and that that gave me a little bit of pause, just because he's an older guy, you know, just the one year of production. But I went back and watched, you know, it, all the games that I had originally watched when I was doing the pre-draft scouting process, and and felt like, you know, Jimbo Fisher, this was the first guy he brought in on campus as a transfer, 
And Jimbo Fisher is a really smart, really good coach. And he decided that their passing offense needed to be built around Jay Sternberger. And he did it in the SEC against the best athletes in the world. And, you know, whatever you, you know, the, the 40 time, whatever, four, six or, or nearly that you watch him in the SEC against safeties, create space, create distance down the seam. You watch him run over guys. I mean, he was okay. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, whoever you want to put in this conversation, he was to me the best after the catch tight end in this draft. No one wanted to tackle that guy. Mm-hmm. And that was with elusiveness, that was with speed, that was with power. One of the names that I got from a, a guy who covers the team was Jeremy Shockey. And, and the toughness, the the dual threat ability, he can give you, you know, he's not going to be, you know, all world blocker. That's okay. Just just sort of be the do your job guy and then give give something there because in the passing game you can be a real threat and and I think he can be you look at 2020 when he's probably going to take the reins over man it, it, it you you have to feel good about a core that includes Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones uh, and Sternberger when you look at those three offensive skill positions. Yeah. And I in, in the backfield I think Aaron Jones's role is going to expand um, quite a bit this year. Clearly will yep. be the man um, I don't know that he'll be a bell cow and handle a ton of touches, but I think he gets an expanded role in the passing game. You kind of touched on that. And it wouldn't blow me away if Dexter Williams surpasses Jamal Williams. I think Jamal Williams is a very pedestrian guy, and Dexter is the more talented of the two. Yeah, I think on talent, you're absolutely right. And you know the things that held Dexter Williams back at Notre Dame were more on the mental side. There were maturity you know, was he, did he have the, the technique as a pass protector? Did he have the, the football intelligence that you need to understand the, the concepts? And, and is he going to do the right things uh, on and off the field? You hope so. Because by all accounts, I mean, you talk about, you talk to the players around the team, the people that covered the team, you know, they, they love the kid. Uh, if, if he can do the right things, I mean, you know, I was talking to someone, uh, the beat writer for uh, the athletic that covers uh, Notre Dame. And he said, you know, from the first practice, you could just see that guy was going to the NFL. Hmm. Notre Dame is not a running back NFL running back factory. And he just looked different from everyone else. They were just like, no, that guy's going to play in the NFL. And he just has that kind of burst, that kind of vision and speed. And, and a, 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 much like Sternberger, forget the 40 time, go watch him play. Yeah. I mean, the guy busted a 97 yarder off. I mean, he was a big play waiting to happen last year. And, you know, the, there was, I, I think, some uh, some teams that, that would have liked to have that would that hoped they could have you know gotten him because he has day two talent. I heard that from a, a couple different people uh, that it was more about the other stuff. And, and we'll see. I mean, I, I have predicted I have been on record predicting that he is going to be. Uh, the the August superstar of the Packers team. I think he's going to light up second and third string defenses in the second half of these preseason games, and and Matt Lafleur is going to have no choice but to put him on the field. Yeah, I think the offensive line will also be better. I mean, getting Jenkins in the second round, I didn't see them going that direction, but it does make some sense. He'll fit in somewhere on the interior, probably for the next five years. Guard was a problem last year, but Billy Turner's a nice stopgap that could bounce outside if need be down the road. So I'd be pretty confident in this group. And you saw Jason Spriggs looming, I mean, in terms of depth guys. They got eight, 
you know, acceptable or exciting lineman. Yeah, and and I think we we can't have a conversation about the Packers' offensive line. Uh, you know, guard has been the focus for a lot of the offseason because of the names you mentioned. They get Cole Madison back, who, you know, unfortunately had to take a year off after dealing with the suicide of his former teammate at Washington State, and and the the repercussions of that that, that there was you know CTE questions, and he basically said, I don't know if I want to play this game that killed my friend. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's that's heavy stuff, but. I just I would be remiss if we didn't talk about David Bakhtiari, who, for my money, is the best offensive tackle in football and as such, the most underrated player in football, because his name never seems to come up in these discussions. You know, the the pro football focus numbers basically have him as the best offensive tackle since Joe Thomas. And that, you know, that's not something that comes up, I think, often enough when we have these discussions. I just I I think it's worth shouting him out because he is the cornerstone of this offensive line and just doesn't get the due that he is owed for, you know, facing Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter and Khalil Mack twice every year. And, And he's he's faced these pass rushers forever and just shut them down. He just is a wall in pass protection and for whatever reason, doesn't get the credit he deserves for it. Yeah. And. I certainly recognize his greatness, but I am guilty of it too. I should bring his name up more often. It doesn't fall out of my mouth nearly as often as it should on the show because he might be the best offensive lineman in the league. Um, Folks, today's show is also brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friendship. Book it on your own on Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. I also need you guys to do me a favor when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast, Locked On NFL. All right, we are back, and I have often said, Peter, that I think the Packers' defense is the most improved in the league, and I'm not sure who number two is. Yeah, I mean, I, who who was even else in the running? Because yeah, there right. was no there there was no Khalil Mack trade, and and remember that happened in August. So, you know that that could still happen. But to add Amos, um, the Acme Sackers, which is what I affectionately refer to Zadarius and Preston Smith, okay. and then you add Rashawn Gary at twelve. Who look, I, I'm not going to front and act like I thought that was a great pick. But uh, I understand why the Packers did it. I understand the upside. And if you're going to make a pick at 12 um, based on athletic potential and upside, uh, you do it with a player who can rush the passer off the edge. Now, I think that's the, the part of his game that he needs to improve on. But even even if we just set Rashawn Gary aside, even if their only first round pick was Darnell Savage that's so pretty good. and you go into the season and you you have upgraded an outside linebacker to Preston and Zedarius Smith. You are replacing two, I think, just patently bad safeties with Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. And then you're just healthier at cornerback, just healthier with Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Tremont Williams. They drafted Kadar Holman. I thought Tony Brown did some nice things for them last year. This defense suddenly has depth and talent everywhere when last year they had talent some places and depth nowhere. I mean, yeah, that upside. is quite the turnaround. Yeah, and a lot of upside. I didn't think Gary was worth the pick, but after they made it and I analyzed it a little bit, I thought about Petten's defense to me fits him because it's not yeah. super structured. 
he, you, know, you can attack, attack, attack. If you make a mistake on a read, just keep going, and and you'll you'll figure it out on the run. And I keep and thinking he can play about anywhere. That's, that's the beauty. That's where yeah. I, think, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think him and Daniels next to each other on passing downs with the Smiths outside is awfully yeah. intriguing. And he doesn't have to learn right now because of you know the foursome or so that's in front of him. That he has time there. And oh, by the way, you have two set, two first round picks. It's a little bit of a luxury. I get it, but I didn't love it at the time, but I'm warming up to it. Yeah, I'm the same way. And and I talked, I had uh, I had his defensive coordinator at Michigan, Don Brown, on the show, on Locked on Packers, uh, to talk about it. And, you know, I, I had a, I got a text from a friend after listening to it. He said, I'm ready to run through a wall for Don Brown. <laughs> because he was he was so effusive in his praise of Gary and, and explained that, look, our number one priority on defense in the Big Ten was stopping the run. And we asked Rashawn Gary to play over the tight end and on a lot of plays take on multiple blocks so that guys like Devin Bush and Chase Winovich could go get after the ball carrier or go attack the quarterback. Mike Smith, the, the Packers' new outside linebackers coach, said Rashawn Gary was his number one pass rusher. I think he, what he said was his number one outside linebacker in the draft. Well, if you extrapolate that, I think we, we have to assume that that means he had Rashawn Gary no lower than the third best player overall in the draft. We could, we could say, okay, Kyler Murray, okay, Quinn and Williams, but that means he had him ahead of Nick Bosa, ahead of Josh Allen uh, you know, ahead of a lot of guys that that went in front of him as pass rushers and who people thought were bet Brian Burns, Josh Sweat or Montez Sweat. That's how excited the Packers are to get him uh, and, and play him everywhere. So I, I had a I had a listener ask how the Packers would grade their draft, you know, relative to how I would grade it. And I said, I think the Packers think they hit an absolute home run, especially with their first two picks. Yeah. I mean, if they get somebody who's top five on their board, you know, give or take at that spot, maybe it's not a need position, but there's just so much there to work with. And, you know, you would hope his best football is in front of him. And I love the landing spot for him. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm again, I'm warming up to it. One other front seven guy to talk about is Kenny Clark. I don't think people realize that he's a damn good player. Yeah. You know, it, it's part of it is that he is a nose tackle and those guys don't usually get the pub and he's not, you know, aesthetics matter in sports. He is not. And I think we look at someone like Haloti Nata and the movement skills at his size. And that's something that we, you know, we love to talk about. Kenny Clark is not quite as big as Nata, but has movement skills that that rival him in terms of what you ask a nose tackle to do. I mean, there are multiple plays you go back and watch of him chasing down screens, of him chasing down swing passes, chasing down ball carriers down the field, getting in the backfield. I mean, just the the athletic ability that he has is really supreme. He's not and he doesn't. I mean, he can right, ride. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, Exactly. So, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, he's not a, he's not, there's no gimmick. There's no hook for fans to say, oh yeah, Kenny Clark, you know, Vince and Vince, Vince Wilfork was a Patriot, right? So we saw him in every playoff game. We saw him in NFL films videos. We saw him in Super Bowl videos. We saw him do interviews on Super Bowl week and on NFL live and all that stuff. Kenny Clark 
has not been on a team that's been that good the last few years. He hasn't gotten the publicity because the Packers haven't been playing in big marquee games, in primetime games, in playoff games. So, you know, it is it is the case that he doesn't have that notoriety yet. I think that's going to change for all the reasons we've mentioned. There's so many other players around him now. Teams can't key on him. No. If you have Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, and Mike Daniels around you, now suddenly, I mean, they're not they're probably not all going to be on the field at once. But even if you just have three of those four around him at one time, who do you double team? Because you can't double team any everyone, and there were times last year there was a great screenshot going around. The Packers were in a a um, it was a their nickel, which was two interior defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, and Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark combined the two of them to eat up four blockers. Wow! Imagine if That's that helpful. is the case, and, <laughs> right. and now you have right, and now you have. Someone like Oren Burks with his speed in the back end. Packers are relying on him to make a year two jump. Blake Martinez coming downhill. And now you have these other pass rushers who are able to to win one on one. And if you if you have two defensive tackles eating up four total blockers, that's going to put one of your outside linebackers on either air or a tight end or a running back your guy should win those matchups. Yeah, you pretty much said it. I mean, I think they're so good up front now that people are going to start to learn who Oren Burks is and get a better appreciation for Martinez. Josh Jones will probably be a closer-to-the-line-of-scrimmage player, which I think better suits him. And you would think the second level of the Packers' defense isn't phenomenal, and it isn't, but it fits with the team building. Well, and, and it's not phenomenal now. Okay, yeah. But the upside, the upside is there because... Jair Alexander last year, he he was the number one cornerback in football in terms of targets uh, contested at the catch point. Uh, did battle some injuries. There was that the game against L.A. was his coming out party where he just he wore Brandon Cooks's jersey that whole game, and you started to say, "Wow, this guy!" And there was there was the the play that that went viral from his rookie season was. The Vikings ran a, a little bubble screen. Jair Alexander tackled Stefan Diggs with Adam Thielen. Just ran <laughs> through both of them to make a tackle. If you haven't seen this play, go find it's on it's all over Twitter. Go find it. That he's he's smaller, but he plays big. He's an incredible athlete, and I think he is poised for an absolute breakout season. I think Josh Jackson, I still think the sky's the limit with him. Kevin King was really coming on last year before he got hurt again. If he can stay on the field, he can be a good player. And I said this before the draft, before the Packers even took him, I, I was I was going through all the safeties, and I said there isn't a safety in this draft class who fits next to Adrian Amos better than Darnell Savage Jr. Yeah, I agree. And, and lo and behold, that was who they picked. And, you know, there's already... You know, Tremont Williams talked about how smart Savage is, that he's already asking for more because he's just living in the playbook. He's picking it up so fast. He's ready to go make plays. I think if you're going to if you're going to ask me which new Packer I'm most excited about out of all of the, the names that we've talked about, Savage is that guy for me. And come on, what a name. Right. He plays like his hair's on fire. I mean, he plays so fast. He's versatile. He could cover the slot. I mean, he's a lot different than Amos, like you mentioned. Uh, Peter, this was awesome, dude. I could talk to you another half hour in a heartbeat. Um, but let's wrap this up by please telling everyone, besides Locked On Packers, which all of you should check out if you aren't already, where else can they find you? 
Yeah, most of the, the writing I do is at SB Nation, but occasionally you, you can see me elsewhere, Dime Magazine, Pro Football Weekly. Follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. And uh, otherwise, I'll be you know back on this podcast at some point soon. Absolutely. Let's do this again soon. Folks, that's a wrap. I will have Mark Schofield tomorrow. Uh, over and out.